Jesus was the embodiment of God's dream. And he encountered people and he promised them three things. He said, follow me and you will have such deep meaning and purpose in your life. Follow me and you will be absurdly happy. Follow me and you will always be in trouble. Well, Paul, he knew about all of it, especially the trouble. In our story from last week, our story for this week, he writes about it in great detail in one of his letters to the church uh, in Corinth, to the Corinthians. Uh, he tells them about all of the times that he's been beaten with rods, like five times he received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. And I've heard that, that the 40 lashes minus one could kill people. He talked about his imprisonments. He talked about being shipwrecked three times because he was on some missionary mission. He, he talked about um, all of these um, sleepless and cold nights. Like one time, uh, the people picked up rocks and stoned him uh, almost to death. He was without food. Uh, he was naked. And in this letter, as he's given this litany of trouble, he says, and on top of that, I was under all of this pressure because of my anxiety for the churches. It's missionary stuff. God calls, and you fall in love with the people. It's trouble. So in our story for today, Paul and Silas and Timothy, they're in Philippi, and they're on their way to this place of prayer that, that they've been to before. And while they're on their way, they're recognized by this slave girl and she starts shouting after them. And Luke tells us in the story that she has a spirit of divination, so, so she's a fortune teller, and that she makes a profit for these businessmen who own her. Well, she's shouting after Paul and Silas and Timothy for three days, and what she's shouting is, these men are slaves of the Most High God. It's kind of ironic. You've got this slave girl shouting to these free men, calling them slaves of the Most High God. But what her message is to whoever is taking the time to listen is that they proclaim to you a way of salvation. So you can be saved, she's saying. You can be set free because of these men. Well, Paul gets really annoyed by this. And I'm not exactly sure why it annoyed him because it seems to me like she's helping them out. Is it because he's on his way uh, to quiet prayer time and there's this wild woman uh, fortune telling, uh, shouting? Um, but what she's saying is kind of announcing to the crowds there's freedom in these guys. It seems to me like she's helping them out. But Paul is annoyed and he decides to exercise this spirit and he does. You know, he says, come out of her. And he frees her. Freedom happens. But it's freedom for the girl. It's not freedom for her, her owners. It's trouble for them. Because now all of a sudden, 
these owners have lost their source of income. And so they start causing trouble. They drag Paul and Silas. I'm not sure what happened to Timothy. Maybe he escapes. Take him to the, the marketplace, to the authorities. And, and then they appeal to anti-Semitism. These Jews who are disturbing our city, they appeal to uh, Roman pride and nationalism. We Romans, uh, this is unlawful for us. Uh, they, they make this designation. Um, Paul and Silas have to do some jail time. And so the authorities um, strip them naked, give them a, a severe flogging, beat them mercilessly, and then they charge the jailer to, to throw them in jail, and they're thrown into the innermost cell, and their feet are fastened to the wall. This is the thing about this story. Paul and Silas, they weren't the only ones doing jail time. Well, first of all, there's this, this poor girl who's chained to these businessmen, who's chained to this spirit of divination. Other people in chains are the girl's owners, these businessmen. Like they're chained to their income, to their wealth, maybe to the lifestyle that, that, that comes with that. And then you've got the crowd in the marketplace. Are they chained to anti-Semitism? Are they chained to nationalism? Then you've got the other prisoners in the story. I mean, they're chained, literally chained, to their mistakes, to their sins, maybe, to their unfortunate circumstances. And then you've got the jailer, who maybe is chained to his job. Fred Craddock, in his commentary, uh, says, having the key to someone else's cell doesn't make you free. And so maybe he's chained to the power that comes with that key. What are, what are we chained to? You know, we live in a free country, and... We give God thanks for that. We talk about our freedom all the time. But even in a free country, we're surrounded by our, our burglar alarms and our door locks. We're surrounded by our medicine cabinets and fears of, of every kind. And we can be chained to those things. Like, what are we afraid of? We're afraid of violence, maybe or loneliness? Uh, am I afraid of failure? Am, am I afraid of how you perceive me? Am I afraid of not being accepted? Sometimes we can be chained to our disappointments. Sometimes it rains on the parade. And we know that things aren't turning out the way we expected them to. There's a thing about this. There can be this sense, and I think maybe sometimes it's, it's undetectable, but we think that because we are living God's dream, because we are God's people, because 
uh, we're God's lovers because uh, we're um, living this life that God wants us to live that because of that we're going to be blessed, that life is going to be a, a bed of roses. And it's nothing new. Jesus had to deal with this attitude. And you might remember uh, there's this conversation he's having with his disciples and he makes this comment that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. If you're familiar with that, with that story, you, you might remember that Jesus' disciples, their response is really interesting. When he says that, that it's easier for a rich person to go through, the, uh, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to get into the kingdom of God, their response is like, huh? Like, well, well then who can inherit the kingdom? Like, then who can be saved? Be because this, this idea is that, that blessing and material wealth and even physical health, like those are linked to being a child of God. And so, when things begin to go south, and when it starts to rain really hard on your life, and you lose your wealth, or your health, or the health of someone that you hold dear, then clearly you've done something wrong. That God has it out for you, or that God is punishing you. Or a lot of times, the way it manifests itself is, it's raining really hard, and things are falling apart, and there's a lot of pain in my life, and it's God's fault. And I start blaming God for taking this away or for inserting this thing into my life. You know, sometimes it rains really hard, and yet some people are able to keep singing. When we started the new church, years ago, one of the, the first families that, uh, that joined, um, Angie, uh, they became dear friends. And Angie actually became uh, my wife Chan's soulmate. Like they were such good friends. Um, even came over to Lithuania when we left with, with her son. And we ran. Angie's the one who got me running marathons. Um, and so when the doctors diagnosed breast cancer, it was raining on all of us, and, and those were hard times. And as hope began to slip, as the situation began to get worse, and as treatments weren't healing like we all had hoped, Angie never stopped singing. Like, I was amazed one time when she told Chan and me, like, you know, um, this cancer is awful. Of course, I wish I didn't have cancer, but, she said, I have an intimacy with God that I would have never known without the cancer. And I was fascinated as she was, of course, wishing she wasn't sick, but understanding that the beauty and joy in her life that had come through the suffering uh, was not something that she would trade anything for. It was fascinating. Paul and Silas are doing jail time, but they're singing in jail. It's midnight. Their feet are fastened to the stocks in the innermost cell in the dungeon, and they're singing 
hymns. And they're praising God. And the other prisoners are listening. You know, people are always listening. People are always watching. And I think many times we're so chained to our stuff, whatever our stuff is, that we don't notice the people around us and that we miss opportunities to sing God's song and to, to set someone on this path to freedom. And I find myself asking, how do I do that? How do we do that? How do we sing in jail? <laughs> well, Paul and Silas were doing jail time, but actually they were quite free. They were free to sing. They, they were free to, to praise uh, and, and to give thanks. Now, an interesting part of this story is that the jailer, the jailer wakes up, saw the doors of the jail wide open, knew that everyone had escaped, and so he drew his sword to kill himself. And, and you know why he was doing that was because he knew that when the Romans found out, the authorities found out that on his watch everyone had escaped, that he was doomed. And so he was just going to take care of it himself. But then Paul shouts, we're still here. Don't harm yourself. We're all here. We're all here. And I'm like, all here? Like, the other prisoners stayed too? Nobody left? It's an amazing part of the story. It's the beautiful part of the story. We can sing because we're not alone. So Joyce Rupp, uh, she wrote a, a book entitled Prayer. And in this book she tells a story about how uh, one summer day she was uh, sitting on her back porch and uh, she was immersed in, in preparing a, t a talk uh, for a conference. And the, the topic of her talk was listening to God. And so as she was leaned over her paperwork and, and uh, working in her notebook, busy writing this talk on listening to God, she, she heard a bird singing and it was just this penetrating, melodious song. Uh, the warbling of this bird went on and on, but she didn't pay any attention. She didn't bother to look or, or bother to listen because she was concentrating so much on her talk and, and, and what she was going to say to the people in this conference about listening to God. Finally, something was, was stirring her um, that, that drew her to, to put her pen down. It was just like, stop what you're doing. Uh, listen. Pay attention to this beautiful song. And so uh, she looks up looking for, for the source of this, of this glorious music. And, and she sees this uh, female house finch that's seated on the bird feeder and a male finch that's perched on a branch nearby. And uh, the male finch was just singing his heart out uh, to this female who pretended to peck at the food, uh, seemingly ignoring this enticing song. Well, finally, the female bird lifted up and flew away. And the moment she left, the other bird's beautiful music 
stopped. And so in her book, Joyce Rupp writes her thoughts. She thought, God is always singing a love song, desiring to get my attention, wanting to let me know I'm cherished, but I get absorbed in pecking and cleaning. Only by listening to the melody of God will I recognize and respond to what's beneath. Only then will I turn my heart more fully to the one who calls instinctively to me. I can sing in the rain, not only because God sings to me and with me, but because you do too. And for that, I give thanks and praise. Amen.